Good evening to you. Take your Bibles, please, and turn them to Revelation chapter number 4. I want to thank each and every one of you for coming out and being a part of these services this evening. Um, it's always good to be able to um, get in the Word of God with the people of God, and um, can't wait to do that tonight. The truth of God's Word gives us encouragement, it edifies us, it builds us up, lets us know who we are in Him, lets us know what we have to look forward to. And tonight, that's exactly what we're going to be looking at as the children of God, what we um, surely have to look forward to as a, a part of the body of Christ. And that's exciting for me, and I hope and pray that it is for you as well. Now, keep your place there in Revelation chapter 4, and, and flip back with me, please, to Revelation chapter 1, just a few pages back, and I want you to look down at verse number 19. Now, if you remembered when we began our study in the book of Revelation, I told you that Jesus himself gave us an outline with three points um, concerning the whole book of Revelation. He told the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 19 three things that he was to write down. He first of all said, write down the things which thou hast seen. And we said that refers to the vision that John received of the Lord Jesus. And we studied about that in Revelation chapter number 1 verses 8 through 20. That's what John had seen. If you believe it, say amen. And then he said something else. He said, write down the things which are. And for the last month and a half, two months, we've been looking at the things which are. And we said that is shown to us in Revelation chapters number 2 and Revelation chapter number 3 concerning the church. It was the letters to the seven churches of Asia. Now, not only was it a letter, or letters, excuse me, to seven literal churches in John's day, but it was also representative of the, the complete church. The, the number seven in the book of Revelation and all throughout the Word of God is the number of completeness. It's the perfect number. So not only is John writing to seven literal churches in his day, but through those seven letters, he was writing to the complete church throughout the church age. When I mean the church age, I'm speaking of the church the born-again believers that have accepted Christ from the day of Pentecost all the way to the rapture, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So he says, uh, write down the things which you have seen, the things which uh, are, that's Revelation 2 and chapter 3, and then he says, and the things which shall be hereafter. Everybody say hereafter tonight. So tonight we're going to talk about the things which shall be hereafter. And that's all we're going to see from Revelation chapter 4 through the end of the book, Revelation chapter 21. So tonight we begin the third point um, in the outline that Jesus gave unto John. Now then, let me give you first of all just an overview of Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. And then we're going to look primarily at one verse tonight in Revelation chapter number 4. In Revelation chapter number 4, we get a picture, a beautiful picture, a powerful picture, an amazing picture of a worship service that's happening in heaven. 
I mean, it, it, when we, I can't wait to look at this with you uh, next week or maybe the next week, depending on how far we get tonight. But uh, it is a, a beautiful picture of a worship service happening in heaven. How many of you know, whenever we as the body of Christ are worshiping together um, at the feet of the Lord Jesus, we're getting just a little taste of what was going to happen when we get to heaven. Amen. And that's what we're going to look at in Revelation chapter number four. It's a detailed picture of a worship service taking place. It tells us, first of all, who is being worshiped. We see that in Revelation chapter four and verse number three. We see that God himself is being worshiped in heaven. Now you might say, well, brothers, what do you mean? You mean God the Father? Absolutely. Uh, we do see God the Father being worshiped there around the throne um, in John's heavenly picture. Uh, some would say, well, that, that they're worshiping the Lord Jesus, and you would be right as well. They're certainly worshiping the Lord Jesus. See, it's the worship of God in his triune nature. We believe uh, that God is uh, triune, that we have a holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And here in Revelation chapter 4, in this great heavenly worship service, it's God being worshipped in His triune nature. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's who is being worshipped. Not only do we see who is being worshipped, we see where they are worshipping. They are worshipping in heaven around the throne. You don't even know the Bible says that when speaking of God that the heavens are his throne. Can you say amen? And the earth is his footstool. And that's true. But I want you to know there is a throne of God. And one day the people of God will be around the throne in worship of the king of heaven. And that's an amazing truth that we must see. We see who is being worshipped. We see where the service is taking place. Uh, but we also see who is doing the worshipping. And there are several different um, groups of people that are mentioned here. But the one that I am primarily concerned about and one that especially excites me and I hope and pray that it excites you tonight and it should concern you tonight is that the church, we see them pictured around the throne worshiping uh, God himself. Now then, you say, Brother Israel, how do you know it's the church? Well, we'll get into that uh, when we study through Revelation chapter number 4. But there is a reference to the 24 elders. And I believe the 24 elders represent uh, the church, the body of Christ. Those who have been born again in the church age. That time from Pentecost unto the rapture. And so we see the church in heaven worshiping the Lord Jesus. Folks, I don't know about you, but I cannot wait to the time when I can stand before the throne and bring worship and honor and glory unto the one who saved me from my sin. Unto the one who caused me to miss hell and gain heaven. To the one, folks, listen to me now, that gave his life for me. And one day, we're all going to be able to do that if you are a part of the body of Christ. So my next question would be this. If we see the church in heaven, how did they get there? We see the church uh, on earth in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. We see them doing a lot of good things and we see them doing some not so good things. There were some things Jesus uh, praised them for and rightly so. There's a lot of good stuff happening in the church. But there's a lot of things that he rebuked them for, that he corrected them on. And so they were in the world uh, living in what I like to call the nasty now and now. Can you say amen? 
Uh, we, we all want to talk about the sweet by and by. And, uh, I can't wait till we are a part of the sweet by and by. We're in heaven with Jesus, but right now we're living in the nasty now and now. And that's where we saw the church in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. But then in Revelation chapter 4, we see them um, in heaven with the Lord Jesus. In heaven, um, around the throne in this great worship service. So how did they get there? Well, I believe it was through the rapture of the church. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Look at Revelation chapter number 1, or excuse me, chapter number 4 and verse number 1. Now watch what this says. After this, after what? After the church age. After all that's went on in this world concerning the body of Christ, Concerning the church, after this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet. Now, we've got to take note tonight on the language that's used in Revelation 4 and verse number 1 if we're going to get a hold of this. If we're really going to see what God's Word is teaching us this evening. He says the first voice that he heard was that of a trumpet. Everybody say a trumpet. Now listen what the trumpet or that voice speaking unto him said, talking with me, which said, come up hither, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now let me tell you what I believe. I believe Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is a perfect picture of the church being raptured up. John is symbolic of the church being raptured up to heaven. The Bible says in verse number 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one that sat upon the throne. So we see John in the Spirit being raptured up, being caught up, called up, can you say amen, through the voice of a trumpet, uh, into the heavens. Now then, you say, brothers, well, how does in the world does that signify the church? Well, do you remember what the Bible says concerning John? Oh, over and over and over in the book of John, we saw something when we studied it. John was called the disciple that Jesus loved. Now let me ask you folks, did, did Jesus love Peter? Do you think he did? Absolutely. Did Jesus love Matthew? Absolutely. Did Jesus love Andrew? Absolutely. Did Jesus love James? Did, did Jesus love old Judas? Absolutely. He loved all the disciples. But when it came to John, he made the, the Word of God makes a special point to say uh, that John was the one that Jesus loved. Now let me tell you how I think that is symbolic to the church. How many of you know Jesus loves this whole world? As a matter of fact, he loved this, so, this whole world so much that he came and died for it. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loved this world of humanity. Every man, woman, boy, and girl upon the face of this world, Jesus loved them and he came and died for them. We celebrated that just this last weekend through our Easter services. And so we know that God loves this whole world. But how many of you know, there is a special love that Jesus has for His church. Amen. The church is called the body of Christ. Amen. The church is called the bride of Christ. Let me tell you something. I've got a special love for my bride. 
I love all you. Don't get me wrong. I am so thankful God has allowed me to be the pastor at Mount Zion Baptist Church. I'm thankful I'm your pastor tonight. I want you to know I love you, each and every one of you. I want to be there for you. I want to help you all that I can help you. I want to be your pastor. I love you. Thank God for you. But I want you to know something. There is, a, there is something special about the love I have for my bride. Amen. It goes even above the love that I have for you. And I think that's the picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. He loves the whole world. But can you say amen that Jesus especially loves the church? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so the disciple that Jesus loved is called up to heaven. And I believe that is symbolic of the church being called up to heaven. Now then, how many times have you heard me say that the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God itself? And that's true. So tonight, I want us to look at the best commentary I know of on Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And I want to read to you the writings of the Apostle Paul. Now before we look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want to talk to you just a minute about three prevailing truths when it comes to the rapture. There are three... Um, Beliefs concerning the rapture that we really need to take note of, all right? Now, there's going to be a lot of people who have what is called a post-tribulation belief. Now, what that post means after. Now, what this crowd believes is that um, the church would be raptured or caught up um, after they endure seven years of the great tribulation. Now, folks, there's a lot of things that I see wrong with that according to Scripture. People will say, well, um, the, the church has always been persecuted ever since it was born on the day of Pentecost, and they would be right. Some say, well, that Jesus promised that in this world you shall have tribulation, and he certainly did. But folks, I want you to know something. The tribulation that's going to take place on this earth during those seven years is known as the Great Tribulation. Now, you, we know that we all face troubles and trials day by day. Anybody in here never faced troubles or trials? I didn't think so. Because we live in a fallen creation marred by sin, we are all going to have tough times um, in this world. That's just the way it is. We're going to have tough times physically. We're going to have tough times emotionally. We're going to have tough times relationally. There are going to be trials and tribulations that we face, not because God don't love us, but simply because we live in a world marred by sin, an imperfect world. We're all going to face those times of tribulation. But when the Bible talks about the great tribulation, folks, that's something completely different. During these seven years of the great tribulation, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on an unbelieving world. So I do not believe that we are going to be raptured after seven years of great tribulation. Hebrews chapter number 11, verses number 37 and 38 
tells us of how those first century Christians went through great times of tribulation and distress. They were killed. They were sawn asunder, the Bible says. Uh, they went through terrible times of tribulation and persecution. And I want you to know the church today is still going through terrible times of tribulation and persecution. Right now in the Middle East and in Africa, Muslim extremists are doing absolutely everything they can to completely kill out uh, the Christians in that area. They're doing a good job of it. I'm just going to be honest. People are being killed by the day. Um, we saw last year uh, up to 350 beheaded at one time by ISIS in the Middle East. And so today Christians are going through great times of tribulation. But it is nothing compared to what we're going to see happening in Revelation chapter 6 through uh, chapter number 18. That seven years of tribulation where the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon this earth. Now let me share something with you. Romans chapter 8. And verse number one tells us something that I think we all need to see and take note of. Listen to what it says. I'm going to flip over there and read it to you. This is to the believer. This is to the child of God. Watch what it says here. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, I told you that the great tribulation, those seven years that's going to take place that is outlined from Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter number 18 is God's wrath being poured out, God's condemnation being poured out on an unbelieving world. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. My, the wrath of God was poured out on His Son Jesus at the cross. Can you say amen for that? Folks, I want you to know Jesus took the punishment for the sins of the world at the cross and the Bible says all who trust in Jesus share now no condemnation when it comes to their sin. So I don't believe we're going to have to face the great tribulation because that's God condemning a world who don't believe in His Son. We're not going to face that. That's not going to be, be what we go through. Now, there's some who believe in the post-tribulation belief, but there's others who believe in what they call the mid-tribulation, or the mid-tribulation rapture. And, and they believe for three and a half years, the church, the body of Christ, will stay upon this earth. Uh, and at the end of the three and a half years, Christ is going to rapture the church. Now, they get that. Um, from the idea that the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. We all know that. We're going to see that when we study it. Uh, the Antichrist after the rapture is going to come on the scene. And when he does, uh, he's going to be the supreme ruler of this world. And for three and a half years, everything's going to be hunky-dory and hallelujah. I mean, it's going to be just like he's fixing all the problems of the world. Then after three and a half years... Um, all hell is going to break loose on this earth. His reign of terror is going to begin. And so the mid-tribulation folks believe that after the three and a half years, Jesus will rapture his church so that they will not have to face the wrath that is poured out upon this world. I don't believe that. What I believe and what I believe God's word teaches is the pre-tribulation rapture. I believe we are going to be raptured before any condemnation whatsoever comes upon this world. Those who believe in the mid-tribulation rapture, um, I don't think they, they see what the Bible says in Revelation chapter number 5. 
Revelation chapter number 6. In Revelation chapter number 5 and starting in chapter number 6, we're going to see that it is Jesus who opens up the seal for the condemnation to begin. That starts on day 1. Can you say amen? And so I don't believe for one moment that Jesus is going to bring condemnation to his bride. He's not because we're already going to be gone. We're going to be raptured up according to Revelation 4 and 1. Now then, let's look at what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's just start with the 13th verse. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you believe that, say amen. It's good stuff. Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we uh, which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, which, then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let us pray tonight. Father God, we do love you. Thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for the promises that we see in your word. Lord, I'm so thankful this evening that no condemnation will come to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, you took my condemnation for me. I'm thankful you paid my sin debt. And now that the debt has been paid, Lord, you've let me go free. You've given me life. Lord, you've given me liberty not to face the wrath that is coming to an unbelieving world. Lord, I'm thankful tonight we have the promise of the rapture. I'm thankful that you are going to fulfill your promise to receive us unto yourself, that where you are, we will be also. Lord, help us to see these great truths right here in the Word of God. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. Now, folks, these believers there in Thessalonica were questioning what was going to happen to their loved ones that had died in Christ. They didn't want their loved ones, their mother, their daddy, their grandma, or their grandpa that had died uh, having believed on Jesus to miss the resurrection. And so Paul makes it very plain to those believers in that day and very plain to us right here tonight what's going to happen when Jesus comes back and raptures his church. Now listen to what he says. He says, first of all, there's going to be a descent of the Lord Jesus. Watch what it says here in verse number 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. Now watch what it says in this next part. And with the trump of God. Does, anybody, does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar um, as to what happened in Revelation chapter number 4 and verse number 1 where the Bible said that uh, John said he heard a voice, the voice as of a trumpet. And then he said what the voice told him. The voice said to come up. Can you say amen? And now if you look in my Bible and I hope in your Bible that if you see words in red, that means something. What do the words in red mean? That means Jesus is speaking. 
And so in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, John heard a voice. That voice was Jesus, and it was like a trumpet. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 16, when the Apostle Paul is preaching on the rapture of the church, he says there was a trump of God, and the dead in Christ then began to rise. They were called up. The dead in Christ, and then we'll see in a minute, the living that were alive when Jesus come back. They're going to be called up to be with the Lord in the air. That's what the word rapture means, to be caught up. Now, let me tell you what you're going to look for probably when you leave this service, or um, maybe you already have. You're going to flip to the back of your Bibles in your concordance. You're going to try to find the word rapture because people are interested in this, and rightly so. You're going to look all throughout your Bible concordance that you have before you, and then you're going to find your Strong's concordance, and you're going to look through it, through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, and you're going to try to find the word rapture. And let me just go ahead and tell you, you're not going to find it. You're not going to see the word rapture in the Old Testament or in the New Testament for very good reason. The word rapture is a Latin word. The word rapture means to be caught up. The only problem is, uh, you Bible students know, that in the original, trans, or the original language, the New Testament was written in the Greek, and in the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. You're not going to find a Latin word in the New Testament or the Old Testament because they were written in Hebrew and they were written in Greek. So you're not going to see the word rapture, but let me tell you what you are going to find. You're going to find continually the teaching of the rapture. You're not, you're, you're not going to find the word trinity in the Old Testament or the New Testament either for the same reason. But you see the teaching and the truth of the trinity all throughout scripture just like you see the truth of the rapture. Let me tell you what you do see. Right here in verse uh, number, let's look down um, Verse number 17, the Bible says that those who are alive when Jesus comes back to receive his church unto himself, they will be caught up. Now that's the Greek word harpazo, and what that means is to be snatched away, amen? And so I believe that's exactly what he's talking about here. We will be snatched away from this world. That's going to happen when, the, first of all, the Lord descends. There will be a descent of the Lord Jesus. Now, let me tell you what I believe happens a lot of times when you start talking about um, the rapture. There is a lot of confusion between the rapture and the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Those are two separate instances. The rapture, Jesus comes and descends to the clouds. We see that right here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. In the second coming, the Lord Jesus descends all the way uh, to earth itself. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4 that he will set his foot on the Mount of Olives. There's a difference in the rapture and the second coming. In the rapture, we go up to meet him. In the second coming, he comes all the way down and meets those on earth, bringing the church with him. We'll see that when we study it. So in the rapture, first of all, there is a descent to the clouds in the air 
of the Lord Jesus. That's what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 16. Not only is there a descent um, of the Lord Jesus, I also want you to notice the destination of the dead. Watch what happens. Verse number 13, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, those that are asleep that he's talking about here are the Christians who have died in Christ. Now, I love how the Bible puts things, don't you? Do you know every time in the New Testament when the Bible is referencing a child of God dying, it don't say the child of God dies, it says they sleep. I like that. Folks, listen to me now. Death is nothing the child of God has to fear. Listen, we know that when our um, spirit leaves our body, when we die upon this earth, our last breath on this earth will be followed by our next breath in heaven. We know to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord Jesus. Death is nothing we have to fear. The Apostle Paul says it's just like somebody going to sleep. He says those who are asleep or those who have died in Christ he says, don't sorrow because of them. You don't have to sorrow because of somebody has went on to be with the Lord. How do you know that's some good news? I've got some blessed loved ones that I love dearly. Man, I, I've got a brother in heaven right now. I've got a grandma and a grandpa, uh, many family members and friends in heaven right now. I don't sorrow because of them. I'm thankful that they are with the Lord Jesus. It's good to be saved. Can you say amen? He says, you don't have to sorrow worrying about what's going to happen to your loved one who's died in Christ, even as others which have no hope. Uh, this, is so, this verse is so true. Uh, the, the Lord has given me, um, since he called me to preach, several opportunities to preach a whole lot of funerals. I'm going to tell you something. There is a big difference between a funeral of a believer and an unbeliever. Very big difference. I'll just be honest with you. I never want to see my saved friends or loved ones pass away. I'm not saying that. That would be morbid. I want to see them live as long as they can. Do as much for Jesus as they can. Enjoy their company as long as I can. But let me tell you this. It is an honor for me when I get to preach the funeral of a child of God. Because I realize this is not goodbye. Let's just see you later. <laughs> I realize it's not the end. I realize they have hope. Hope of what? Hope of heaven because of Jesus. But let me say this too. I've also preached the funeral of the unbeliever. Those who had no hope. I've watched the faces of their friends and their family members. Broken, completely broken in despair because they know that person laying in the casket had no hope. They know they didn't know Jesus. And so what Paul is saying here, us as believers, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We have hope that when we leave this body, we are present with the Lord. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so then which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Amen. So let's look at this just a moment. First of all, I want you to see that these dead folks, their destination 
is with the Lord. You say, well, Brother Israel, does that mean then that they are asleep in the grave somewhere? Because I, I've heard that taught. But we know that there are certain denominations that believe that, that there is what's called soul sleep, that when you pass away, your soul sleeps in the grave until the Lord comes back. Let me share something with you. That's not what God's Word teaches. And I'm thankful for it. Everybody take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. I want to share with you one verse of scripture that will be a blessing to you, child of God. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 8. The apostle Paul says, we are confident. Everybody say confident. Now when he's saying we are confident, this is not something he's doubting or he's wondering about. This is something he's sure of. We are confident. We've got confidence in this truth. I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You may tell you what he's saying. I'd rather go on and be with Jesus. He said, when I know, because I know when my spirit, my soul is absent from this body, it's going to be with the Lord. So your lost loved one who who is uh, died in Christ, having believed on Jesus, when they died in this world, their soul, their spirit, which is eternal, went to be with Jesus right then. It doesn't wait. It don't sleep in the grave and it don't go to purgatory. There is no such thing. The child of God goes to be with the Lord. That's the hope we have. Now then, what happens at the rapture? That spirit which is in heaven of the dead is reunited with their body that raises from the grave. Watch what happened. This is what the Bible says. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse number 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, those who are dead in Christ. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So those bones that are in the grave will come forth from the grave. It will meet the Spirit which is with Jesus in the air. And then the Bible says we will ever be with the Lord. Amen. Now why is that so important? Well, listen to me. Do you remember the scripture in the the Word of God where it says Jesus is the firstborn of the dead? He was the first one who was brought forth from the grave to walk in the newness of life. Now listen, if Jesus was raised again physically to walk in the newness of life, we as believers in Christ, we will also. He's the firstborn of the dead. We are the ones who come after him. I'm thankful for that. Let me tell you why I'm thankful for that. Do you remember me telling you that I've got a brother and I've got um, a, a grandma that... I love dearly and I've got uh, cousins and aunts and uncles who went on to be with the Lord. And let me tell you where they're all buried. They're all buried over at Bethlehem Cemetery just right across the holler over here. And I want you to know, um, Bethlehem Cemetery for me has been a place of sorrow and despair. It's been a place for my whole family of sorrow and despair. That's where we're all buried at. My grandmother died when I was 16 years old. I love that woman. Miss her so much. Still miss her today. If there's ever been um, 
a saint of God, Ed Lee Roberts was a saint of God. She loved Jesus and loved people. So thankful I got to know her as long as I did. It broke my heart, and it still breaks my heart today every time I think about losing her. My brother passed away at the age of 18, just a baby. Now, when I was 18, I didn't think I was a baby, but now that I look back, I was just a baby, and he was too. He didn't really get to live life to the fullest. He died at 18, and uh, ain't a day that goes by that I don't miss my brother. Love him dearly. And in that cemetery on Bethlehem, over at Bethlehem, those are two of the hardest times I can ever remember. Complete brokenness when we put my brother's body in the ground. Complete brokenness when we put my grandmother in the ground and several other family members. Now let me tell you something. When Jesus comes back, that place of brokenness will turn into a place of victory. Amen. Isn't that good? Folks, we don't have to sorrow for those who've died in Jesus because one day those graves are going to burst open and those who are dead in Christ will forever be with the Lord with a new body meeting their spirit in the air. Isn't that amazing? That's the destination of the dead. We see the descent of Jesus, the destination of the dead, but also notice the direction of the living. Watch this. Verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is, this is good news, I believe, for us because I believe I'm going to see the coming of Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to set a date of when Jesus is going to come. There have been people doing that all throughout the centuries. Amen? And all of them has been wrong. Jesus said no man knows the hour or the time when the, he's going to come back for his children, when the rapture is going to take place. Nobody knows when that's going to happen, but I'll tell you what we can look at. Matthew chapter 24, the Bible says that he gives us some signs of the end of time, some signs of the coming of the Lord, some signs of when Jesus is going to return in his second coming. Amen. Now, when's his second coming? Well, his second coming is when he comes from heaven to the earth, when he sets foot on the Mount of Olives, when he comes back at the end of Revelation. Amen. And sets right what's wrong on the earth. When he comes back and wages war at the battle of Armageddon. Claiming victory. Can you say amen? That's going to happen at the second coming. That's the day of the Lord. And all of those signs that are spoken of in Matthew chapter number 24. The, the Bible says are like birth pains. Amen. I, I've got a sister-in-law right now who's about to give birth. Man, they are so excited. And just Sunday, we were eating lunch at my mother's house for Easter. And while she was sitting there eating lunch, um, she started having contractions. And we thought that, um, that it was about to happen right then. 
And so she goes back, she went back to the doctor today, and the doctor said, we're going to schedule you to have your, if you don't, baby don't come, before next week, we're going to schedule you to have your C-section done. You're going to have the baby. Now, those birth pains that she was having Sunday was letting us know that the time was drawing near. And that's, that's just like the signs in Matthew 24. Those are signs that Jesus is coming in his second coming. Now then, if we're already seeing signs of the second coming of Jesus, according to Scripture, the rapture happens seven years prior to the second coming. So if we are getting close to the second coming, we know we're getting close to the rapture. Amen. Are you hearing me? Now next week we're going to talk about a lot of that. I'll tell you about a lot of the signs that we're seeing and um, how all that fits into the prophecy that we'll be studying. But I'm telling you, I believe we're going to be, uh, I believe there'll be one sitting right here in this room that are going to see the rapture of the church. And the Bible says that we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We'll get a new body. I'll no longer need these. The Bible says no flesh shall glory in the presence of God. This old body will be changed and I'll get a new body. And the Bible says in the book of 1 John, I will be just as he is. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians and I'm going to close. 1 Corinthians. Chapter number 15. Let's look at first of all at verse number 51. Here is some more great commentary on the rapture. Of what's going to take place to those who are, who are alive and remain. Verse 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now what's the word sleep mean, church? That's for those dead in Christ. He said not all of us are going to die in Christ, but we all shall be changed. Well, praise God for that. Amen. Amen. Verse number 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Just this last, I guess it was uh, when we leave for Creation Museum Thursday. I guess last Wednesday, my wife bought us a whole bunch of bananas. And uh, we were, uh, she had them there at the house. And they were almost the color of Miss Linda's shirt. They were just that green color, you know. They hadn't really even started turning a, a good yellow yet. And so we left Thursday evening after work going to Creation Museum. And we stayed up there until Saturday night. We got home about 10 o'clock. And then we spent most of the day here Sunday. And then I went, like I said before, to my family's dinner at my mother's house Sunday evening. We get home Sunday night. And those um, bananas that were green on Wednesday 
had already turned about the color of this chair arm right here. Yep, yeah, that's right. Good for banana pudding. Anybody want, feels led to make Brother Israel banana pudding, I can help you out. I can give you the bananas. So um, anyway, they had already started to change and grow old. They were corrupting. Amen? That's a perfect picture of what's happening with all of us. We're falling away. We're corrupting. We're getting old. Amen? Minute by minute, hour by hour, all of us are. That's just the way it is. It's part of it. Now the Bible says that this corruption is going to put on incorruption. That this mortality is going to put on immortality. Verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Everybody say victory. That's what you have in Jesus. That victory for a lot of us, I believe, will be fully realized when we are changed to receive our new body just as he is. A body not hindered by matter, space, or time. Think about that. The Bible says very little about the body we're going to receive. It gives us a picture of it in the Gospels when Jesus was resurrected on that first Easter morning and he came to the upper room where the disciples were. He had received his new body. Can you say amen? amen. The old body was laid in the grave, but on the third day he was raised again to walk in the newness of life, according to Romans chapter 6. Now then, in his new body, the Bible says they were all sitting there in the upper room with the doors being locked. And the Bible says then Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Now, it don't say anything about him opening the door, does it? The Bible just says he appeared in the midst of them. That tells me he came right straight through the wall. In his new body... He was not hindered by matter. Then the Bible says, there was two disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember that? And as they were walking, Jesus met them there. And he began talking to them about all the things that had just taken place. And if you remember, the Bible says the disciples, as Jesus began to talk, they didn't know who he was at first, but their hearts began to burn. And they realized they were talking with the Lord. And about the time they realized that he was gone and he went to somewhere else, he was not hindered by matter and he was not hindered by space. He was at one point and immediately somewhere else. And he's not hindered by time. The Bible says the new body we're going to receive is immortal. Just like the old hymn song says, in 10,000 years, we'll just be getting started. We'll never have bad eyesight. We'll never need to go to a doctor. We'll never have an aching back. We'll never get tired. It's amazing. Every time I think about the new body, it just blesses my soul. There's, I, I, we don't even know all that we're going 
to receive and be able to do. I've got some ideas. <laughs> it's amazing. That's what we have to look forward to. That's why it says, verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The apostle Paul says something else in closing. He tells us, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, verse 18, comfort one another with these words. When you really get a hold of the truth of the rapture, when you see that it's about the descent of the Lord Jesus, when it's about the destination of the dead in Christ, and the direction of those who are alive and remain, then it becomes a comfort to you. I got a dear brother in Christ. Every time I see him, he goes to school with me over at the uh, Bible Institute. Every time I see him over there, he'll say, I'm still looking up, brother. I'm still looking up. You know what he's saying? I'm keeping my eyes open. I'm looking for the Lord Jesus. I'm looking and waiting for the time when he fulfills his promise to come back and get me so that I might be where he is. If you're a child of God, that's a comfort to you. But you know what else? I remember years ago, before I knew Jesus, that wasn't comforting to me at all. As a matter of fact, it scared me to death every time I thought about the rapture. I mean, it would scare me so bad I would tremble in fear. When I was, a, I guess, I don't know, nine, ten years old, we watched a movie at church. Um, do y'all remember that movie? What was the name of that movie? I can't even remember now. Anyway, it was about the rapture of the church. And I left there that night absolutely terrified because I knew I wasn't ready. Folks, you don't have to fear if you know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, the day of grace is today. It's available for you. All you got to do is trust him. I would love to share with you what it means to trust in Jesus. If you're not sure whether you know him or not tonight, listen, get sure. Get sure. Because the truth is, the rapture could be in the next five minutes, could be in the next five years, could be in the next 500 years. I don't know. But you know what? Your day of the Lord may be in your next, in your next breath. The day when you meet Jesus may be today. You need to be ready. Anybody got anything else, comments, or questions?